Hi, everyone. Welcome to Pilates Elephants. I'm your host for today, Heath Lander, and I am very excited to say that I'll be interviewing the one and only Raphael Bender, who's normally your host. So we've flipped the tables because we've heard repeatedly that people are really interested to hear Raph's um, origin story and where he came from and the journey that he took to be uh, where he and Breathe, Breathe, Breathe Organization, Breathe Education is today. And so that's the purpose of today's session. Uh, and Raph, I'm going to throw to you and ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome. Hey, it's uh, it's interesting to be here with you. <laughs> um, yeah, my name's Raf. I am a Pilates instructor. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I really don't actually instruct Pilates or teach exercise or do exercise physiology these days. I teach uh, people to be Pilates instructors, and most most importantly, I teach people who are already Pilates instructors to be better Pilates instructors. So, and I've got a business. I'm based here in Melbourne, Australia. I live with my wife and daughter uh, and uh, work from home. And I basically don't leave the house for from one week to the next. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Okay. All right, great. Um, so you have been a Pilates instructor. Um, uh, what, 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 how, how long ago did you come across Pilates? What was that? What was that? Where, when did you first meet the, the Pilates? Um, well, I th- like you. I, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to tie you with the same brush, but uh, I feel like I, I kind of wasted my. I oh, not wasted, but I basically faffed around for my twenties and thirties. Like I was a musician and a martial arts uh, practitioner for a couple of decades, and that's basically what I did with my youth. Um, and you know, it was fun at the time. And I learned a lot of amazing things, met a lot of amazing people. And, but then I, I got to, I don't know, my mid thirties and realized, oh, fuck, I'm like not actually young anymore. And I literally don't have any qualifications. Uh, and I'm actually don't have any like significant job experience because I've just played in bands in two bit sleazy dives my whole life. And, you know, taught martial arts for like $5 a class. And I'm staring down the barrel of like, shit, all my friends are, well, not all my friends, but a lot of people that I went to school with are now like in proper jobs, making proper money with mortgages and all of that. And I'm still riding on a concession fare on the bus, um, you know, not not really knowing where my next dollar's coming from. Um And that was great when I was 25, but all of a sudden I realized like, oh crap, you know, like I'm like, I'm seriously not very employable (laughs) Uh, and, and I don't want to keep working in like as a waiter because, you know, I can't remember who it is, but, um, the comedian who says, uh, you know, um, when he, when someone heckles him and he says, oh, in the audience and he says, oh, what do you do for a living? And the person says, oh, I'm an, I'm an arts graduate. And he says, oh, I'll say to you what I say to all arts graduates. I'll have a cappuccino, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and so that was me. I wasn't, I didn't have a degree in arts, but I was, I was a musician, musician. I was an artist, but you know, that's a fancy way of saying I worked in a cafe, hmm. you know, <laughs> for, for a decade. And explored some hobbies. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, to support my expensive musical uh, equipment habit, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of I got to thirty five and I realised, oh, like fuck, you know, I'm I I really need to do something about having a career, having some qualifications. 
Um, so uh, at that point, I went and I decided I was teaching. I had a martial arts school in Sydney, which is a very grandiose term for like a renting a sweaty, smelly room at the back of Newtown Gym two nights a week and teaching a bunch of people for $5 a class um, how to do martial arts. Uh, and then uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to open a yoga and Pilates and martial arts studio because we realized that martial arts was like such a tiny niche thing that would never appeal to a wide range of people. And actually, moreover, we were more interested in the exercise side of things than we were. Like, I was actually found myself teaching the martial arts and got more and more excited about teaching the warm-ups and the conditioning part of it and less and less excited about teaching the fighting part of it. <laughs> and um, So I went. I've, I found this uh, amazing place in Sydney called Elixir Health Clubs, uh, which is still going. And um, they were. this was like in 2004 or something like that. And found, and they had a yoga and Pilates focus. So they didn't have like all of the traditional gym, like group exercise, like pump and spin classes and all of that. They just had yoga and Pilates. And then they had a whole bunch of gym equipment out on the floor. And so I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to go and work here and learn how to do, like run a business. Um, and so I did go and work there and I learned a lot of stuff about how to run a business. I learned, they put me on the sales team. I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything. Like I was literally just a, a musician who knew nothing about nothing, you know? Um, but I just got lucky and the owner was very friendly and he saw something in me and I uh, got a job and he, I said, you know, he said, I'm going to give you a job. And I said, doing what? And he said, I don't know. We'll find you something. <laughs> um, and so he put me on the sales team and I just didn't know my ass from my elbow. You know, I didn't know anything, and he just he taught me how to sell, um, and um, I got good at it because he was really good, a really good teacher, and he was really good at it, um, and it was a great product. And um, then I was uh, after some time, I was running the sales team, I was leading the sales team, and um, one of my friends who worked there, they did a they did a train a Pilates instructor training program for Stop Pilates. Uh, at there and uh, my friend Michelle, she ran the program and we were having coffee across the road in the park one day and she just said, oh, look, you know, I'm really in the shit. Can you help me out? I've got this course that's starting this weekend and I've had someone pull out and I don't have my minimum numbers and I'm going to, I've got egg on my face. Um, you know, will you please, please, please come and like just be a warm body in the room in the course? I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, like you don't want me to, you know, <laughs> do I have to? Just, just, just to clarify that you'd started working at a Pilates and yoga facility without any official Pilates or yoga training. You were on the sales team selling something, which you then got an opportunity to go and learn the how of. Right. So I was actually, uh, yes, yeah, so I was on the sales team. I was actually also teaching martial arts at this place. Like, so I was, we're running our martial arts classes out of there um, after hours and stuff. So it was, yeah, I was kind of. Uh, I was excited about the whole yoga and Pilates thing. And actually at that time I was practicing yoga. Um, I used to practice the Shtanga. Uh, never was great at it, but did it for a couple of years, pretty with reasonable dedication, like four or five days a week. Um, could touch my toes um, and stuff. But uh, yeah, so at that point I didn't you, really you know anything. Yeah, could touch my toes. Could, yeah. Yep. Um, Which notably uh, you can't anymore. Is that right? Yeah, at the moment. Like, well, you know, give me a few warm-ups I can I can – I can reach him. Um, yeah, so I, I, no, I didn't. I didn't teach Pilates, and I really didn't. wasn't that 
interested in teaching Pilates. I was interested in teaching martial arts and I liked yoga and I was interested in opening a business that had Pilates and yoga and martial arts, but not because I loved Pilates, just because I thought, oh, well, that's kind of a cool thing. They go together. Yeah. Seems to be part of the Venn diagram of wellness. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I was like, I roll, fuck, you know, give up my weekend, come and do this fucking stupid Pilates course as a favor to Michelle. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, but you fucking owe me big time you know, for doing this. Um, and so I, you know, drag my feet there with my, you know, eyes rolling back in my head till you can see just the whites. And I'm like, you know, so unenthusiastic about it. And I rock up and it, like within five minutes of the course starting, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is really fucking cool. Um, and I just loved it. I loved it. Um, and, you know, I've heard, I've interviewed shitloads of people on this podcast where people tell me their origin story and they had a similar experience where they were like, I've never enjoyed exercise, but then I found Pilates and oh my God, it was like, you know, it really resonated. And for me, that was the case. Like I'd, 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 when I was converted, I had like a Damascene conversion. Hmm. Okay. So let's de- double click on that a little bit. This is a Stott Pilates course, I gather. Yeah, this is intensive map plus. So this is like an eight day, uh, you know, six hours a day, you learn the 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 40 ec- mat work exercises or whatever number, 72 mat work exercises, I think, from memory. Yeah. Um, and then you learn posture analysis and you do anatomy review and, yeah, so just all the basics that you learn. Yeah, so when when was the eyes, the, the mind-blow emoji moment? Was it when you did the 100 and you were like, wow, nothing could be this hard or was it a combination of the movements being different or was it the postural stuff? Was it the the... I think it, for me it was the precision that I, I I mean I had picked up a personal training certification along the along the way you know before that and um, you know so I sort of knew the names of a few muscle groups and I could throw the word scapula around you know without really being really, super clear on yeah. what it meant but you know like I, I knew some of the terms but just like the precision of the the language and the precision of the movement and just like. That, yeah, all of it really just, I thought, oh, this is really like, I don't know, just the knowledge of it and the, yeah, I guess the precision is the only, is the thing I really put my finger on that really blew me away. Um, and this was like 18 years ago now, so it's hard for me to remember. But I just, I definitely, I remember the sensation, the the motion, the experience of being like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like I, I didn't realize what I was missing out on you know, be, until I tried this. This okay. was awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, or I went, you know, like in five minutes, I went from like, oh, fuck, do I have to be here to like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so, so happy. Uh, and then I did all of the courses. I did all of the Stop Pilates courses. I was, I suddenly realized how lucky I was working at this place where I could do the Stop Pilates training for like, basically nothing like i think they gave me a 90 percent discount or something <laughs> to do the training so i got to do all of the stop pilates instructor training courses like i did the mat the reformer the cadillac chair the barrels the advanced courses injuries and special populations and um like oh i just became obsessed with it and started teaching and you know i mean my first classes were shit and all the rest of it but i you know i got i got reasonably good reasonably quickly because i had a background in teaching movement and I was teaching reformer classes. I was teaching mat classes. Um, yeah, I was. I loved it. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, my wife and I, uh, my wife Julie and I, moved back to Melbourne, which is uh, 
600 miles south of Sydney. Um, and because this is basically where most of our family was, we were about to have a baby. Uh, and we thought, oh, what a great opportunity. We'll open up our own place. Um, like, because there was nowhere really like Elixir in Melbourne. So we, uh, we, we partnered up with a bunch of friends, uh, opened a place called Breathe Wellbeing and, uh, which was just a yoga and Pilates studio. So by this time I'd let go of the martial arts thing. It was just Pilates and I wasn't even into yoga anymore. It was just all Pilates all the time. Um, and, uh, so we opened up a Pilates and yoga studio and it was, and yoga because some of the people we were opening the business with were yogis. And also it just seemed like, oh, yeah, Pilates and yoga, they just go together, you know, like wine and cheese or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, so we opened up that and, um, you know, ran that business for about a decade, had lots of ups and downs, lots of trials and tribulations, lots of terrible mistakes, lost lots of money, made lots of money, you know, learned lots of stuff. Um, but I guess, that you know, relevant, pertinent to this story, around about 2013, like I, I, I had this, well, actually, I went, sorry, as we opened the studio, I also was so into this Pilates, like, teaching journey, I actually went across to Canada, to Toronto, at Stop Pilates HQ there uh, in Yonge Street or Boulevard, and... um studied all the instructor trainer courses. So I did their full instructor trainer certification. I went across a bunch of times, like four or five times to Toronto and uh, studied with, with them there. And so these also, are the courses that take you from being a comprehensive instructor to teach the general public to a right. comprehensive trainer of instructors. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I was, you know, very fortunate to be mentored by uh, Melanie Byford Young, who was a, she was a master instructor trainer for Stop Pilates at the time. She wrote their rehab course, um, and uh, you know we hit it off. And I went out a bunch of times. I you know I can't remember, but you know three or four times at least. I went and stayed with her in uh, Seattle, Washington, where she lives, and uh, like just rode shotgun with her um, on sessions for a couple of weeks at a time, and would basically just sit in with her doing heaps of client sessions and. I co-taught a bunch of courses with her, like rehab courses and injuries and special populations courses and stuff. So I really got to kind of sit at her feet and, you know, absorb her kind of knowledge and, and teaching skills. Um, okay, so just uh, just a deep dive. I think there's an important there's – there's a fork in the road that we've just swept over there. At the beginning of the journey, you were doing um, – let's say general movement like group pilates sorry well group yoga and group martial arts then you discovered group pilates and you had your 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 eyes were white uh that the 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 scales were lifted from your eyes when you started doing the mat work which is essentially general for the general population but you've just segued into talking about how you were mentored by melody byford young she's the head honcho of the rehab branch of Stop Pilates. She's very well known for that. And when I came across you, your focus was very much on pain, rehabilitation, and injuries. Can you just talk a little bit about the transition from teaching a heap of reformer and mat classes work? When did the the interest in people's pain and rehab come in, or was it always just baked in? Uh, I think it was always baked in to a certain extent. Like when I was even teaching the Kung Fu classes, which I used to, the martial arts I used to teach, like 
the I was trying to figure out like what's the common element between my students and one the one thing I could pick up that they all had was some form of back pain. Um, and so I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And so I always had been interested in that, but didn't really know anything about it. And the 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 stop platies courses kind of whetted my appetite for that because they kind of tantalizingly talk about you know posture and correcting muscle balances and things like that, and kind of imply that that helps back pain, but it it doesn't. There's no there wasn't anything that was kind of meaty or satisfying enough for me to draw a straight line from like okay, here's how you solve low back pain for people. You know, I, I didn't feel like I understood that. And Melanie is just uh, incredibly intelligent, learned, well-read, articulate, a great teacher, um, and very yeah, brilliant uh, clinician, you know, working with clients. And uh, I'd, I ran into her, I can't remember exactly how, I think it might have been at the Stop Pilates Conference or something, the Licensed Training Centre Conference, or I, yeah, I can't remember. I, I bumped into her as part of the Stop Pilates world anyway, and she was she was a big cheese at that time in the Stop Pilates universe. She's since uh, no longer uh, affiliated with them. She has, uh, I'm not sure, maybe, actually, I'm not sure if she's affiliated with them or not, but I know she's not a, she doesn't you know, like write their programs anymore. And she has her own studio and she does kind of does her own thing, I think. Um, but uh, you know, at that time she was kind of a big star in the Stop Pilates universe and I was kind of had stars in my eyes and I was like, oh, Melanie Buffett Young, you're amazing. And I still think that. I mean, she's <laughs> she still is amazing. Um, uh, so I kind of just followed her around and said, you know, <laughs> will you teach me? <laughs> so, and she was kind enough to, to agree. And so I basically just, you know, I flew her out to Australia once and she came out by herself once and um, I flew over to Seattle a bunch of times and hung out with her and her husband, Kevin, you know, my wife, Jules, my daughter, Bintu, we've spent, uh, 4th of July with them a couple of times. Like we've become actual quite good friends. Um, and, but yeah, so I learned heaps from her just like sitting basically, not literally, but pretty close to literally sitting at her feet as she taught courses, as she, you know, worked with clients, you know, like, yes, yeah, so I was, uh, that was a really formative you know, experience for me. Yeah, and she's a she's a physio. She doesn't practice as a physio, but she's trained as a physio. Um, and so she has like voluminous knowledge about anatomy and biomechanics and rehabilitation and, and stuff. So she like was like the Encyclopedia Britannica when such a thing existed. And this of, is this is all happening in the mid to late nineteen nineties. No, no, this is the this is the early late late nought late aughts, you know, so two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, eleven, twelve, something like that. All right. That, that and, and so then within the context of the history of Pilates, what you just said about Melanie was pretty high value knowledge, right? The the, oh, the yeah. anatomy, postural awareness, all of that. That was that was the zeitgeist for the industry at the time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and and uh, yeah, I mean, I learned heaps of that from her, and that's where I got. You know, she really sparked my interest to learn more about that sort of stuff. Uh, and then again, at, you know, like I had, so I had all this knowledge now, and I knew all the muscles, and I knew all the different fibers of psoas, and you know, all the rest of it. Um, but I still just had these stop Pilates certifications, which like were great, but you know, they're not a degree, and I felt like. Uh, I'm still like I'm 
close to 40 now and I don't have like, I've basically just got kind of like a, what we'd call in Australia, I don't know, vocational qualification, you know, something that's like, I don't know. It didn't feel to me like I had a qualification that was commensurate with the amount of knowledge I had. I mm-hmm. felt like I had a lot of knowledge that wasn't was reflected. not, wasn't reflecting the qualification. Yeah. So, uh, so I was actually inspired by John Gary, um, uh, who I had also become friends with as part of the whole Stop Pilates universe. And John Pilates, uh, John Gary was, if anything, a bigger star even than Mountie Byford Young. <laughs> it was like Elvis of <laughs> Pilates. <laughs> and John, if you're listening, I love you and you're fucking awesome. Um, uh, and so John had gone back to university and, and he, this was, yeah, roughly that kind of 2010-ish period. Uh, he'd gone back to university to do a kinesiology degree or his master's or something, uh, which in, that's in America, that's why they call it exercise science. And uh, that really inspired me. I thought, fuck, he's a guy in his 40s, you know, top of his game, world famous teaching fitness, like everyone thinks he's awesome. And he's going back to learn more, you know, about about what he already is a genius at. Um, so I th- that inspired me because I was in my early 40s at the time. And I thought, you know, so I basically that inspired me to go back to study exercise science at the age of 42 um, whilst running the studio full-time. So I did a Bachelor of ex- Exercise and Sports Science. I'd studied that full-time. In fact, I did it the three – and I had a six-year-old daughter, so thank God for my wife who just, you know, did like 99% of the parenting um, at this point. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I, I was running the, the, the studio. We had like 40 staff, two studios, 1,500 clients a week coming through the doors – um, you know, like 120 classes a week. Um, uh, uh, and I studied the Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science. Um, it's a three-year degree. I did it in two years. Um, so I just, I really, I mean, I, that was just an insanely busy, you know, time for me and not an experience I would care to repeat. Um, but I've, I've, I'm really glad that I did it. Um, like it was, it was, a, man, I don't think I slept more than six hours for the whole two years, you know, six hours in a row. It was like, um, I mean, I'm a very, I didn't used to be when I was a musician, <laughs> but I, my wife actually, I think has taught me to be extremely, uh, organized. And like when I, when we first got married, I was always losing my wallet and my keys because I'd put them down in a different place every time and just forget. And she taught me that you, this crazy rule that you just always put the, the things in the same place and then you know where they are. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Jules>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I haven't lost my wallet in over a decade. It's like, I don't even understand how people lose their wallets these days. It's like, but I used to lose it all the time. <laughs> you know? So, so I've definitely learned a few things and just say, so yeah, Jules, my wife taught me a lot about being organized and, and systematized. And, and I then kind of took the ball and ran with it. Of, on that. And so when I studied, um, I was like, I, I just went to a lot of degree and maybe people listening to this can identify. Like, I think a lot of Pilates people that I've met are kind of like this, um, that basically I looked at, you know, all of the things I had to do in a semester. So I sort of like printed out, okay, here are the assignments that are due. This one's 5,000 words. This one's 3,000 words. Here's the textbook chapters I have to read. This chapter's 22 pages. This chapter's 48 pages. I've got a week to read it. You know, so I basically mapped out all of the things I had to do, you know, and when the dates they were due. And I knew, okay, every, and basically divided it up by every day I had to read 22 pages. 
right, is what I remember, right? And then I timed how long it took me to read a page, you know, and these are like dense pages of small writing on a big book, you know, <laughs> and the, the shortest word is three syllables, you know, um, and so you often have to read the paragraph like four times and then you're going like, oh, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Um, so it takes a long time to read it. And so I figured, you know, I basically just timed myself and then timed how long to take me to write an essay, et cetera. And then I, I just figured out, okay, well, I need to spend four hours per week writing essays. I need to spend two hours per day reading. I need to spend, you know, I just, then I just diarized it. I just diarized it all. And, um, you know, and yeah, so my day was like just rigidly scheduled, you know, and this is on top of, teaching like 15 classes a week plus running a two million dollar a year business plus you know really doing one percent of the parenting for a mm-hmm. six-year-old um but uh yeah so that was that was a i mean it was exciting i was learning stuff i felt you know really great about all of that but it was like oh my god just a blur of weariness and fatigue and just never having two seconds to relax or read a book or go on social media or watch a movie or any of that. You never went out to dinner. (laughs) Just study, work, sleep, repeat for two years. And so at the end of those two years, you had an exercise physiology degree or was that, and then the master's followed that? Yes, I had an exercise science degree and then I did the master's straight after that. So I, I applied for the master's in clinical exercise physiology at a different uni, uh, got into that, uh, that was an 18-month degree. I did it in 12 months. And again, just the same, applied the same process. Basically just mapped out exactly, okay, what's due, how many words, how many pages, how many chapters, and just mapped it all out and diarized it like a maniac and just, just you know, pushed through it. And so this was like, I was so not excited by all of the the work, but I was excited by the learning and I was excited by uh, you know, meeting people and like going up and doing the, the labs and stuff was really exciting. And um, yeah, but like that whole three years um, is a real blur and was like, oh my God, not, it wasn't fun, I guess. Yeah. Is what. <laughs> yeah. And did it, did it achieve the purpose? You set out to, you said you had felt you had X amount of knowledge that was more than your qualifications reflected. Did you feel well prepared for the study? Did it level you up? Did you come out knowing more? Did you come out feeling you already you didn't learn a great deal? You know, yeah, was it a- all, all of the above. Like I felt like you know I think a lot of people who were self educated because I had read a lot. You know, I was inspired by Melanie. Anything she like casually mentioned, I would like go and buy the book and read it. You know, um, <laughs> um, and. Uh, you know, so I'd done a lot of reading, but it had been very kind of ad hoc and sporadic, you know, so I knew heaps about certain things and nothing about other things. You know, I had real massive gaps. Um, so my knowledge wasn't broad, but it was very deep in sort of certain random areas that I'd had inspiration in. So one thing that I got from one of the several things I got from the degrees was I I basically started from A and went to Z, you know, like I learned all of the things, you know. So we started with, you know, the hip bone connects to the thigh bone, you know, and we went all the way through, you know, to what is a nerve impulse and reading ECG, you know, um, all the rest of it. And uh, so I felt like I filled in a lot of gaps and I had a, I felt like, and now there's, there's always more to learn. And I know 2% of what there is to know about anatomy and physiology, but I felt like, I feel like after those degrees, I felt 
oh, I have a, a solid foundation. You know, I'm, there are no glaring gaps, right? And yeah. it's like I could, I could learn more about everything, but I feel like I have a broad, consistent sort of knowledge base that I, I'm not, don't have any massive blind spots in those areas. Yeah, mm-hmm. So that was, that was awesome. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. And I think like one of the things, one of the great insights I had, um, you know, as I was studying, this is like a second or third year was it's like, because I studied online, right? I did mine by distance. And so I was, I listened to all the lectures as a recording, uh, and I had in my essays, got feedback from my tutors, uh, you know, lecturers, you know, is written feedback. And I went up for a lab, like for a week, you know, once a year where we did all of our physiolo- physiology experiments and tested blood lactate and VO2 max and stuff like that. Um, but basically I was studying self at a self-paced course. And so I, I had this realization like a couple of years in, fuck, basically they're just making me read these textbooks, right? I'm just literally just reading the textbooks and then writing essays on what I read in the textbooks and doing exams based on what I read in the textbooks. So I'm like, I could have bought the fucking textbook for 200 bucks, right? <laughs> and just read it <laughs> and got the same education instead of paying like, it was like $30,000 for those two degrees, right? That I'm like, fuck, I just, I could have just got this for $250, you know? Mm. But then I realized that, well, I'd had 42 years before I went to uni, but I never read the textbook, mm. right? And I thought, oh, why was that? It's like, oh, because now I have this massive fucking pressure that if I don't read it by week nine, I'll fail the exam, right? So, so basically what I, what you get, one of the, you know, one of the massive things you get in the uni is like they both just basically put massive pressure on you <laughs> to read the stuff and learn the stuff in a systematic way that you could, in theory, do by yourself. But mm. let's face it. 99% of us don't do it because yeah. you open up a textbook and you go, fuck, this is dense and hard work. I think I'll just do, I've read for 10 minutes. I'll just have a Netflix break for a minute. <laughs> uh, whereas when you, when you, when you know that you've got to read two hours a day and you've got to be at work in two and a half hours, it's like, you've got to read it now, you know? So, yeah. so basically, yeah, it's this, that like, it just, they just make you read the stuff. There's nothing magical about <laughs> university it's just they've just forced you to do the work yeah so you described uh that you felt you know that the the, the the process of doing that degree those degrees joined dots and gave you a you know not you know, there, there's more to learn but it gave you a sense of a, a more comprehensive view of the landscape and that you were you didn't have any glaring blind spots and then you just reflected that you know what maybe what you got for your money was accountability that you, know, you you were forced to do something that you could have done voluntarily, but and then the other bit is someone was telling you the sequence of the content and like you know do this in this order, and as you do that, your knowledge will layer up effectively rather than go here because that's interesting. Oh, now that's interesting over there. Oh, now so there's some kind of structure to it which maybe we call a curriculum or whatever, and that that would be the other thing that I guess maybe is a blind spot for you now that you take for granted that someone was doing that for you? Um, yeah, I guess I think there's a double-edged sword to that. I think like having a curriculum can be incredibly powerful. And I mean, obviously I believe that because that's what we do at Breath Education. <laughs> but um, I think there's a misconception that is super common in educators that 
you have to start with the sort of super basics before you can, you know, start to comprehend more complex concepts. And I feel that, you know, having sort of done it both ways, like with Melanie, I learned to sprint before I could crawl. You know, like I learned that freaking different layers and muscle fiber composition of the deep fibers of psoas versus the superficial fibers of the psoas before I even knew some of the super basic stuff like the what are the bones of the ankle joint, you know, <laughs> like so so I learned some like super in-depth stuff but had massive holes in some of the basics, you know, before uni. And then at uni I went through this, like you say, a structured process. So you learn the basics and you learn the structure and blah, 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 and it all sort of scaffolds up. Um, but I think – and so I think at my uni they did a pretty good job. But I think a lot of times um, – educators tend to like over, I don't know, curate or protect students from more complex ideas. Like, and I know that as, you know, as we teach, for instance, uh, in our diploma, the biomechanics of the spine, right? We teach them like pretty freaking in-depth, like the biomechanics of the intervertebral disc inflection, versus neutral, right? So we look at the forces on the disc wall and how they're transferred from the nucleus to the disc wall. Like it's pretty detailed stuff that is fourth year university level stuff, right? right. Uh, and in fact, to be honest, I, I think it's more postgraduate sort of like thesis level stuff. I didn't even learn that at university in my four year degree, but but our students have no trouble with it, right? We, I rarely have to give any like corrective feedback on that assignment where people are talking about it. It's like they get it. So I think, yeah, I think, yes, structure is really important. And why do they get it? Because I think we've scaffolded them up to it. But I think that we'd managed to do that in like a couple of months where often the assumption is you need four or five years to get to that point. And I think that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, great. So you've done this uh, undergrad now postgraduate exercise physiology study, and how did you feel when you finished? Apart from relieved, did- uh, really freaking relieved. Um, it, uh, but I felt, I felt, yeah, I felt empowered. I felt like I was legit. I felt like I had a real qualification, and not that stop Pilates is not a real qualification, and that that's not what I mean. I mean. I mean, I, I feel like I had a qualification that you could show your parents and they'd be like, oh, that's cool, you know. And, you know, maybe there are parents out there that think differently, but, um, yeah, that, I just felt like, you know, you could tell the taxi driver on the way to the airport and they'd be like, yeah, I know what that is. Um, a master's degree from a university has more social capital than a certification from a private provider. That's, that's right. The, yeah. Right. Okay, great. What did that do for you? What, what, what was what was next? What what emerged for you after that? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I was this was when I I was so biomechanical at this point. Like I was, you know, I was biomechanics and anatomy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, you and I wrote an anatomy textbook. You illustrated it, and I wrote the words with Nicole, who's also on our team. Uh, and you know, we were so into the anatomy, you know, um, and you know, I still am, I mean, anatomy is so 
exciting and, and interesting and fascinating. Um, but we were just like everything about the way we taught was anatomy and we were teaching instructors at this point. Um, and we were, you know, basically we were teaching all of, all of, all of the debt, all of the things about anatomy. And, um, we were overwhelming the shit out of our poor students, just, you know, vomiting anatomy word salad at them the whole time. Um, and also, you know, what I was experiencing was like, I knew all of the things, like I did all of the Stuart McGill courses and I did all of the core activation courses and all of the posture courses and all of the multifidus recruitment things. And I had all of the blood pressure cuffs to test people's transversus activation and anatomy trains courses. Like I did all of that, all of that stuff. And I could tell you, I could go on for hours about the posterior oblique sling and blah, blah, blah. But still, a significant portion of my clients didn't get better. Um, and so I was seeing these clients and they come in with pain and I'll go, oh, no problem. You know, I'll do your assessment. Oh, your neutral spine's out or your posterior oblique sling's not firing or your transversus is overactive or underactive or whatever. No problem. We'll fix that. And then sometimes we'd fix it and the client would be like, oh my God, you fixed me. That's amazing. And sometimes they'd be like, yeah, no, it still hurts. You know, <laughs> and I'd be like, but I just did the exact same thing to somebody else and they had the exact same problem and that fixed them. So why didn't it fix this person? And I just couldn't see why, like, well, two things. One, I couldn't see why sometimes someone would come in with the exact same symptoms and he would do the exact same thing and then it just wouldn't work. Whereas on the other person it did work. And it's just like, I don't fucking get it. Um, and then the second thing was I had all of these different things going around in my head. So I had, um, like the McGill stuff, which is all about neutral spine, right? So uh, then it would, you know, client would come in and I would do an assessment. How can they keep the neutral spine? How can they brace their core? How can they dissociate their limbs? And I had the anatomy trained stuff. So I'd be like, okay, client comes in, they've got a pain. I would assess their whole system. How's their dorsiflexion? How's their <laughs> craniocervical flexion? How's, you know, all of that stuff. Look at their, you know, contralateral lat to opposite glute connection, all of, you know, and evaluate that and, you know, start to increase or decrease activation of different areas accordingly, right? To, to correct whatever imbalances I detected. Or I also had this, uh, uh, transverse abdominis, um, multifidus pelvic floor, you know, kind of core spinal stability model, right? So a client would come in with back pain. I would assess their ability to con to control, segmentally stabilize their lumbar spine at the affected segment and assess their ability to activate their transverse abdominis, their multifidus. Okay. I couldn't assess their pelvic floor, obviously, but would you know, talk to them about it. Um, and so, you know, so there was, and I had a half a dozen other models, like trigger points, so many different, you know, things that we could you know, work through. And each of these was a different kind of model or map of how to help someone with pain, right? And it's like, well, I've got freaking 10 different models I can use. So, you know, client walks into a bar, you know, which model do you use, right? Do I use the neutral spine model or do I use trigger points or I'd use anatomy trains or I'd use core activation? Do I, you know, what do I use? Posture, you know, like there's so many different, you know, and um, Shirley, Sam, Shirley Simon's like um, movement, system impairment syndromes model. Like we had so many different models. Like, well, which fucking model do I use? How do I know which model to use with each person? I was just like confused as shit. I knew too much. And I, like I had, I knew all of the things, but I didn't have any system. I didn't see how any of it fit together. Mm. So, right. Can yep. you do neutral spine and like, like anatomy trains at the same time or do they cancel each other out? 
you know, like, like it, yeah. So it's like, well, when do you use one and when do you use the other one? Right. And why does it work sometimes and not work other times? And how can you tell? Like, like I was just, so it was kind of like, I knew like a hundred times more than I used to know, but I was actually just more confused in many ways. And, um, and yeah. th- th- those different models, did you do, did they come from the university study or a combination of university so, study and self-interest? Yeah, uh, com- combo. Combination? So, um, yeah. And um, so you, I, did you I'd have done, the- I'd done I'd done a lot of, like I flew around the world. I mean, I was lucky enough I had a business, I had some money, flew around the world, studied with different, you know, I studied with, like not formally studied at university, but like did courses with like Stuart McGill, Paul Hodges, you know, Peter O'Sullivan, lots of different people teaching these different systems, you know. Yep. So you're ending up with this kind of patchwork quilt of models of ways of working with people with pain. Pain's becoming more and more of a focus for you, like you're more and more interested in what's looking for this common denominator that you kind of were sniffing around back in martial arts days of like everyone seems to have lower back pain, all all these models, and and there's a sense of when are these things going to either coalesce into one unifying theory that makes sense or when am I going to work out which one actually works? When's it going to make like, sense? For fuck's sake, like how many more things do I have to learn, you know, before, before it makes together. sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was thinking like for fuck's sake, I've got a fucking master's degree, you know, and I've done all of the extra reading <laughs> as I still don't get it. Mm. You know, like, and when I, when I said, I, when I mean, I, when I say I don't get it, I mean like, I could recite all of the freaking actions of all of the muscles and all of the blah, 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 right? But I, so I knew the words, right? But I didn't, I didn't get it. You know, like I, 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 I could say the words, like I had learned, you know, if you said to me, oh, what's the action of TFL? I could go, you know, hip flexion, abduction, internal rotation, knee external rotation, tensions, the IT. I could tell you all of the things, right? Mm-hmm. But, if if you came to me and said, "Why does my TFL hurt?" I'd be like, "Fuck, I don't know." Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know. <laughs> Why does my TFL hurt when I do this exercise? Don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I I I quote knew it, unquote, but I didn't get it. Yeah, I didn't understand it. And and you're laughing about this and talking about it in the past tense. So take us to when did when did the when did when did it change? What was the difference? Um, when it changed was when I read a book by Louis Gifford called Aches and Pains. Um, uh, and that just was like a bolt from the blue for me. And that was like the grand unifying theory of everything that was like, ah, that's why, (laughs) you know, all of these things sort of don't seem to fit together. And that's why sometimes you know, something works for someone and doesn't work for someone else who seems exactly the same. And so what I learned from Louis Gifford was pain neurophysiology or basically pain science. Um, And what I learned, which I had never learned before, was that pain is a an output of the central nervous system and you basically have a pain system in your body, which is basically, it's just your brain and spinal cord and there's some physiology involved as well as your neurotransmitters and hormones and things. But Basically, pain, I had always thought of pain as a simple, inevitable result of biomechanical factors, 
right? You know, if something rubs on something too hard or if something pulls too hard or squishes something or whatever, therefore pain, right? So if you have pain, therefore something's pulling or rubbing or whatever, you know, in the wrong way, right? So therefore, what do we need to do to change the biomechanics to fix that, right? So I just thought of it as a simple linear process of A plus B, therefore C, you know, tissue plus biomechanical fault, therefore pain, you know? Um, And so I'm like, well, why the fuck, if I correct the biomechanical fault, why doesn't the pain go away, you know? And why does it go away for this person, but not for that other person? And so it just didn't make sense to me. But when I learned, when I read Louis Gifford, it opened my brain to the concept that pain is its own thing. Pain is not an inevitable result of tissue uh, damage or status. It is related to tissue status and so many other things. Um, And uh, that probably tissue status is. In, in our situation, as people who deal with uh, musculoskeletal aches and pains, you know, sore backs and sore necks and hip replacements and whatever, in our situation, tissue status is probably one of the smaller influences on pain. You know, probably, you know, I'm just making up a number here, right? But probably contributes to roughly 20%, you know, of the, the variability of like, do you have pain or not? Or how much pain do you have, right? 20% of that equation is what's going on with the tissues. And so what's the other 80%, you know, and, and I learned this, I learned this, um, uh, I, I think the, the, the model that I described for, you know, the linear model of pain that I had of, you know, A plus B therefore C is like, you know, tissue plus damage equals pain or tissue plus, you know, incorrect biomechanics equals pain. That's what I now think of as the biomedical model or the biomechanical model. And that is, that was the prevalent model. By model, I just mean like th- thought process that basically explains, you know, uh, what we observe to be in the world, right? So it's a model of how, how pain works. Um, and that was the prevailing model in the medical system, you know, all through the 19th century up until kind of the late 20th century. You know, the the, the early 1990s was when like the cutting edge sort of scientists were starting to think, oh, maybe this doesn't really explain, you know, like things very well and maybe there's a better model. Um, but really it was kind of mainstream, it became, sort of fell out of fashion in the mainstream of science about the turn of the 21st century, so about the early 2000s. And what has replaced it is something called the biopsychosocial model. And what the biopsychosocial model says is that pain is um, an emergent property. So pain is not a direct result of any one or two or three things. Pain is an emergent, you know, output of the nervous system, central nervous system in response to perception of threat. And so you can have pain without an injury. Like, you know, we've all, I don't know, stubbed our toe and then like hella pain right? And then after you hop around and swear for a couple of minutes, you look at your toe, it's perfectly fine, mm. you know, like, yeah. or headache or wake up in the morning with some random ache or pain, 10 minutes later, gone, right? Mm. You know, so like pain, it's very possible to have pain without, or just like if you sit perfectly still in whatever position you're sitting right now, maintain that for an hour, do not move, right? You will be in pain, right? 
but then move, you'll be fine. No injury, right? So it's very possible to have pain without injury. And the thing that actually blew me away when I learned about it was this thing called phantom limb pain, Hmm. that something like 85% of amputees, so people who have a limb amputated, something like 85% of them experience pain in their amputated limb after it's gone, right? So this is someone with no knee who's got who's got terrible knee pain, right? But they've, they've, they they don't have a knee, <laughs> right? So it's like you can have pain without an injury. You can have pain without a tissue, right? You can mm. have knee pain without a knee. <laughs> so what the – I mean, that just blew my mind. And so I'm thinking like, right, well, if you can have knee pain without a knee, well, where is the pain? Where is the pain? Well, it's not in the knee, right? Because we can chop the knee off and that doesn't take the pain away. Right. And this is amazing. Like there's some of these phantom limb pain stories are amazing. So people get their same like arthritic knee pain that's even worse in the cold weather and all the rest of it, but they don't have a knee anymore. It's crazy, <laughs> crazy. Um, and this is a very normal thing. Like the vast majority of amputees experience, you know, mm. phantom limb pain. Um, so yeah. So, so pain is not in the tissues. Pain is in the brain. Right. And that's not to, that's not to say we imagine pain or we make up pain or anything like that. It's just a, it's a physiological fact. Pain is an experience that occurs in the brain, right? If you were a brain in a vat, you could have knee pain or back pain, right? You don't need a knee or a back to have those, to have pain in those areas because pain is an experience that you have in the brain. Um, and so, you know, the brain, you, you know, is also called the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord, or the central nervous system, and so pain is an experience generated by the brain. By the brain, um, and because of that, anything that influences the brain can influence pain. Right. So when you're tired, right, you're more sensitive to pain. When you're stressed, you're more sensitive to pain. When you're run down, you're more sensitive to pain. When you are in an immunocompromised state. When you have more in uh, systemic inflammation, your you know, all of these things and many more of <laughs> things can contribute to increasing the sensitivity of your brain and your central nervous system to pain. And so, if you have a sensitized central nervous system, you know your brain is in a state where it's on high alert and it's it's very worried about threats. Okay then a small change in the tissues, like stubbing your toe or getting a minor inflammation in your low back or, or something, can be interpreted by your brain as a ginormous, you know, big disaster. And you can experience like crippling pain. But then we do an MRI and it's like, no, there's nothing wrong there. It's perfectly fine. There's a tiny, maybe, if we squint really hard, maybe there's a tiny little thing in there, but it's like, basically, there's nothing that explains the level of pain you have. And so the difference is, you know, why was I doing one thing, you know, stabilizing someone's spine and fixed it? And then another person comes in with the exact same symptoms, exact same posture, the exact same, exact same everything, and I do the exact same exercise and it doesn't fix it. Well, the difference is the, the level of sleep and stress and systemic inflammation and you know, all of those other things that were influencing those people's central nervous systems that I had completely and utterly failed to address and completely ignored. So it's like, you know, there's this, the tissue status, which is like I said, you know, just pulling a number out of the air, 20% of the influence is like, I'm focusing a hundred percent of my attention on the tissue status, right? And completely ignoring everything else that contributes to pain. It's like, oh, why does it sometimes not work? Well, fucking duh. Of course. Of course. I'm lucky it ever works, you know? Great. So 
how did that affect your so at this stage let's let's put it on a timeline at this stage you've you have you started your education business separate to the pilates and yoga business by this stage this was around about 2015, 2016. So it was like about the same time that we uh, sold the studio and we we started Breathe Education as a standalone company, probably a little bit before, like the year before maybe. Okay. And so the mission of Breathe Education when it was baked into your Pilates studio, if I'm remembering and assuming correctly, would have been essentially to create instructors for the business. Oh, yeah. we. I mean, we started Breathe Education in 2009. We started training instructors. Um, and we really had no intention of turning it into a proper business or making money out of it. It was like literally we've got this studio that's a hungry beast that needs lots of instructors because instructors, you know, move and change and get pregnant and whatever, you know, whatever. So, so you, you need, and also the business was growing. And so we just needed more and more instructors to, you know, drive yeah. the machine. It's probably and, worth remembering too that in 2009, the Pilates industry in Australia wasn't what it is in 2022. So, there weren't people training left, right, and center, and it's a thing now that you can be a Pilates instructor. It wasn't that in the same way then as it is now. No. So, yeah. Yeah. When I look on Instagram and I see like photo, I follow this page called Retro Sydney, and they've got photos of Sydney in the 1960s and 70s and early 80s, and I think all those old Holdens and things and people walking around in their polyester suits and you know all that. yeah that's kind of what it was like where we started <laughs> to you know <laughs> teach you. yeah yeah cool all right so but then that ship so you you did start it essentially to feed the instructor demand of that business yeah and there was a fork in the road let talk us to us about that because you said that was the that was really the point wasn't it where you went from running the business, needing instructors and having a lot of contact with that part of the business, then you became an educator essentially. Yeah. Well, I, I think I progressively became more and more interested in the education side and less and less interested in the running the studio side to the point where at the end of 2015, I realized I really didn't want to run the studio anymore. Uh, and, you know, there's more complex you know, reasons behind that and maybe that will be a subject of a different conversation. Um, but I think what's germane to us today is that I basically realized at the end of 2015 that I was feeling really burnt out and I didn't want to continue to run the studio. Uh, and I was not looking for, I was on holiday for the Christmas break and I was not looking forward to going back. In fact, I was dreading it. And I was like, this is crazy. I built this fucking business and now I don't want to go back to it. It's like, whose business? It's my, I built it. Like, I can't blame anyone for it being, you know, some way that I don't want it to be because it's like, that's me. <laughs> but I was like, well, why don't I want to do this thing anymore? And in talking with my wife, basically, you know, I realized that. Uh, I just wanted to teach, you know, I didn't want to run studios anymore. I've run, I'd run studios for a decade, run my own studio for a decade. I run other people's studios for like three or four years before that. And I felt like I'd done that and I had done enough of it and I didn't need, I I didn't feel like there was anything more for me there. And that's not where my passion was anymore. And uh, I felt like, you know, my wife said, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? I'd like, I'd sell the studio and just start an education business. And she's like, well, you've already got a freaking education business, you idiot, you know? Um, I'm like, oh yeah. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so we sold the, we sold this, um, my share of the studio to my partners, bought out the education company, which was a tiny, 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 tiny sub business of the, the studio. Um, so, um, uh, uh, and just started Breathe Education in April 2016, April the 1st, 2016. That's when we first started it. Like up until then, it was just totally a hobby business. You know, it was totally a hobby. Um, and 
uh, at that point, that's when it became like my sole focus. Hmm. Okay. And what was the f- like when it, the business was the focus? But so, what were you going to teach? What, why did why did you want to be a teacher? Uh, well, you know, I, I I just I've always been. I don't know why, but I always just as soon as I learn something, I want to implement it. I want to teach it to people. Um, so, like anything I learned from Melanie, I would just go and teach it the next day to someone else, um, or I would use it on my clients the next day. You know, um, and I I think that's been I've been very lucky that that's kind of naturally how I do things because I've actually since learned that that is a very effective way of of you know mastering What's stuff. That is, again, it's got a name, I think. Is it practice testing? Yeah, something like that. Like that. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, just reading the book doesn't really do much. But if you read the book and then do the things that you learned by reading mm. the book, that does something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I've always, and and for me, it was not just doing, but it was also teaching it to other people. And I found that teaching something to other people really makes you clarify your own thinking and is a fa- an incredibly powerful, possibly the most powerful way of learning something is to try and teach it to someone else because you think you get it. But then when you try and explain it to someone else, you realize you really don't fucking get it. And mm. you can't explain it simply. Mm. Um, and so in the, in the process of trying to learn, of trying to explain it something simply, you, you have to really get clear on, on what it is that you have learned and, and how to express that. So, so yeah, I've always found that really valuable and I'm just fascinated by the process of transferring knowledge and people, you know, learning and growing and that whole process I find intrinsically satisfying and interesting. And I just over the years found it more and more so. And uh, so when I started breathe, you know, when I started breathe education in 2016, you know, like for for reals, um, it was like it was just. I mean, it was it was a business definitely, but it was a really it was a passion project. I really felt I had this like exciting knowledge that I wanted to share. I was like. I can't believe there are people who don't know this. You know, they have to know this. <laughs> it's, mm. it's amazing. So mm. I, I like, I really, and that's how, still how I feel. But, uh, you know, I've, I felt like, fuck, you know, it took me, like, what was that, 2015? That was like a, you know, since I did my personal training qualification in like 1998 or something, it was, or, you know, it was basically a 15-year, I mean, I'm a bit hazy on the exact timeline, but let's call it 15 years <laughs> journey to, you know, to learn, you know, all of the anatomy and the biomechanics and then finally learn the pain science and go, ah, oh, that's the missing piece. And and the like I want to be clear, pain science doesn't replace anatomy and biomechanics. It's 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 the part of the puzzle, right? Mm, mm. And it's the part that you put in and go, oh, now I can see the picture. Right. Mm. <laughs> so so anatomy and biomechanics is still there, is still really important. And I'm still fascinated by it. I still love teaching and I still love learning about it and thinking about it. But it's, it's just, it's not the whole picture, you know? So, uh, that's, and that was the insight. Like it's, it's the whole person, right? So if, if you think about like, you know, pain is an, an, a complex multifactorial phenomenon. It's an output of the brain, right? And so the brain calculates, is there a threat? Okay. So there's a change in the tissues, you know, in the low back or in the knee or whatever. Is that a threat? Is that something I need to be concerned about? Okay. And the brain makes that calculation based on multiple factors. Okay. How sleepy am I? How rundown am I? How fit am I? What's the level of inflammation? What's the level of blood glucose? What's my body temperature? What, you know, all, you know, have I experienced this sensation before? What was the context? How did that turn out? Like so many factors, you know, come into play. And so 
like you have and and it you know you have to address the whole person right so if you just if someone comes in with back pain you don't ask them about their sleep or their stress or their diet or their general level of exercise or their you know their general health it's like well you you've got very little chance of helping that person mm, mm. because you know it, you're only you're being like the blind men and the elephant you know you just focus on one tiny little bit of it and so that you know that was the 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 chief insight like of all of the things that i've learned that have been amazing and exciting and you know i'm really grateful for this is the biggest one is that pain is a whole person situation right you have to address the whole person and that even when we do exercises that are seemingly highly specific like activating someone's left l45 multifidus 25 percent or something you know which i've you know putting my hand up right now you know been there done that to what people call that one yeah yeah um we think we're doing something really specific but in reality it's almost certain that the effects of exercise on pain are much more general so when we do exercise we think oh we activated the multifidus therefore we realigned the vertebra therefore it's more stable therefore the back pain bent but ah we didn't think about the fact that when we when they exercised we reduced their systemic inflammation and we improved their sleep and we improved their anxiety and we improved their depression and we gave them hope and we had a therapeutic interaction with a, a concerned person who seems to care and like them, you know. So all of these extraneous factors that are more systemic and are more global in their effect, and you could have the same effect by doing bicep curls for back pain, or going for a walk for back pain, or doing heavy deadlifting for back pain. And in fact, these experiments have been done, and the jury is in. And yes, all of those things work equally well <laughs> for back pain, right? And so exercise is beneficial for back pain. There's no doubt about that, right? It's really clear that it is beneficial. But which sort of exercise you do doesn't really seem to matter. They all basically work the same. So, and, and, and the reason is it's the effects of exercise are not specific, right? It's not about what's happening to the muscle or the tendon or the disc or the whatever when you exercise. It's about the systemic effects like inflammation reducing and improving sleep and mental health and self efficacy and social interactions and hope and expectation. All of these other things that are generic you know the general effects of exercise so it's a whole person thing we have to address the whole person now you know asterisk of course sometimes it is important to strengthen certain parts like if you've had surgery or whatever you know there's there's physical rehabilitation needs to happen okay so of course that's a thing but i'm talking about for someone with basically garden variety backache or you know where there's no current injury that's in rehab yeah right um, yeah, so so that was the big revelation that I had, and then so I I basically structured the company to try and explain that to people, um, and with varying degrees of success. And as you recall, Heath, like we ran the diploma, which was basically our you know our this was our course that we were going to teach we were teaching people this stuff, um, and um, it, at the start, it wasn't that successful. I think either commercially, it wasn't successful commercially, and it was so unsuccessful commercially that we actually stopped running it. We cancelled it. But it was also not that successful, uh, like educationally. Um, and I remember you and I have had this conversation a, a bunch of times where we would get right through the whole diploma, and then someone on the last day would say, What exercise should I do for someone with a disc bulge? And we would be like, You know, face palm, like, We failed you. Yeah, yeah, we haven't, we haven't, you haven't received the transformation. You haven't experienced the transformation that mm. we need you 
to experience. Yeah, and I mean, part of that, I think, just we think about like. I'm I'm not hearing a lot of it in your story, and maybe that's because of the kind of emergent way that you came to it. But certainly, we I hear this and I see this and talk about it with plenty of instructors that there's something about being a Pilates instructor that's like you're obligated to be almost like a proto physiotherapist or a proto exercise physiologist without having done the university degree. It's like there's an expectation that you know a lot, and then the same problem happens as you've just described where everything I've done from all my workshops and training and I apply it doesn't give me a reliable output, doesn't give me a reliable outcome. So do I need to go and do more workshops? Do I need to do another course? And people pile up the workshops and courses and sounds like in some cases even pile up university degrees and still don't have that. Yeah. So is that you've had this revelation and it's, it's confirmed by experience and by evidence. You said the jury's out. So, and that's what underpins what we, you now call the diploma at Breathe Education. As, or is it the, is it all of the courses at Breathe? Um, yeah. So you're right that, and that was my experience that people, and this is my personal experience as well, that basically, you know, searching for the answer, you know, in the, the next weekend certification or the next, you know, qualification or whatever, and then learning like cool, interesting shit, but then just still feeling like I didn't know what the fuck I was doing <laughs> because I would do my cool, interesting shit that I learned and sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, it worked great when the instructor did it on the course. <laughs> like, why isn't it working when I do it? I'm pretty sure I'm doing the same thing. But, and so, and then I see that a lot. That That's what I see with our students. And that is basically the person who enrolls in the diploma is somebody who, feels like maybe they kind of should know it, but they don't get it. And and I think, like you say, it's that kind of – a lot of players instructors feel a pressure, and I think actually the pressure doesn't come from clients. It comes from inside ourselves. Mm, you know? Agreed. Yeah. But, but a lot of people feel a pressure to know all the answers. So when the client says, why does my hip hurt in this exercise, the Pilates instructor is like, well, fuck, I don't know, but I guess I should know, you know. And so I, I want to be able to say, oh, well, it hurts because of A, B, and C. So if you, you know, flex your big toe 10 degrees more when you're doing that exercise, that'll solve it for you. And the client will go, oh, great, that's thanks. You've, you know, you've just solved my problem. But that's not Pilates instructors' experience. They're like, fuck, I don't know why your hip hurts. Why don't we just do some ab work instead and not worry about it, you know. <laughs> so, so I think a lot of instructors feel basically unable to be authentic with their clients because they kind of feel like they should know these things, but they don't. And therefore, they don't want to admit that they don't know. They don't want to say to their client, yeah, you know what? I've got no fucking clue why your hip hurts when you do that exercise. (laughs) So what they do instead is they kind of mumble something or they just give them a different exercise that they, that sort of avoids loading that body part or they, you know, so, you know, so, or they, you know, change to a different position or whatever. So, and so, which is not a bad thing. I'm not having a go. That was me, you know, that was me. Um, but I think that it, that prevents people from feeling authentic because they're feeling like they're kind of faking it because they kind of are. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the, the fundamental shift that comes, you know, that came for me and that comes from that we now see in our students is that, uh, well, there are two things. One is like, well, you, you, there is some stuff that you can actually learn that actually does make sense of this 
experience for you, right? So when you understand pain neurophysiology, when you understand biomechanics, you know, when you understand, um, you know, strength training and, you know, a bunch of different things, uh, you know, you can make sense of why does my hip hurt in this exercise, right? And you can go, ah, well, why don't you do it this way instead? And the client can go, oh yeah, that feels a lot better. So there is actually an answer to that a lot of the time. Okay. Um, so that's part of it. It's like, okay, well, maybe you learned a lot of things like I did, but maybe you didn't learn a coherent framework for joining all of the dots together of the things and seeing where the, seeing the forest, not just the trees, you know? Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing is the, the, the notion that, you know, of, of us players instructors as fixers, you know, sh- shifts to, us as guides or coaches or collaborators. Um, and so the thing is, you don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to know all the answers. And when you can let go of needing to know all the answers and go, I can be a fucking awesome instructor and deeply and profoundly help my clients without knowing all the answers, all of a sudden this massive weight <laughs> lifts up off your shoulders and you're like, oh, this is fun again. <laughs> this is really good. And your client can say, why is my hip hurting this? And you can be like, yeah, I don't know. Let's let's check that out, right? Let's figure it out together, right? Mm. Yeah. Tell me more about when your hip hurts. Let's try it this way. Let's try it this way. And you can explore and experiment. What do you think that means? You know, why do you think that happens? Um, and so you can, you can, and we, we, there are like, this is not just a random thing. We, you learn specific techniques and strategies on how to problem solve with the client and how to collaborate with the client so that it's, you come down off your sort of like pedestal of being a, the person who knows everything and has all the answers, which you don't really. And that's why you feel like you're faking it because no one knows all the answers. Like humanity doesn't know all the answers, right? So no wonder you don't fucking know all the answers. Um, but you so say you come down off your pedestal and you stand next to the client and you're like, huh, yeah, this is a bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? You know, let's try and figure it out. And so all of a sudden it's fun and you're collaborating with the client and you can be genuine and because you're not pretending to know something that you think you should know, the client doesn't give a fuck if you know it or not. Like, like it's actually just all stuff that you were putting on yourself. And that's my, that was my experience. And that's the experience that I've heard like repeated, like dozens, scores, possibly hundreds of times from students who've gone through the diploma. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the what I've heard and I think, what you're talking about is there's two there's two outcomes that seem to be really powerful as a result of the course that's been built, which is uh, a way of learning anatomy that is empowering. So it's not just a pile of facts that then, like you said about TFL, you know it, but you can't see it. It's actually the other way. It's more you can see it in your mind, but even if you can't remember the details, that's cool because you can kind of, you, you understand it rather than you can recite it. And that's incredibly empowering as an instructor, which you've done over the course of 15 years, countless hours of reading, multiple courses, including two university degrees, so that you the, the knowledge is there, but then you've found a way to make it a picture in your mind and your passion is to share that. When that's shared, people feel that same empowerment that you've spent more than a decade building. But then the other part is this understanding that pain is it's not a light switch system. It's an emergent multifactorial system that no one can have all the answers to. And once you're aware of the factors, then with a few things, you know, there are some things to learn about loading and appropriate times and healing, et cetera. 
that once those things are kind of bedded down, it's empowering in the sense that you're working with the client as a person who's active in the process rather than you having to be the keeper of the answers. And that's liberating. And so on one hand, you've got this incredible confidence in your knowledge and you're also able to say, I don't know, with a great freedom and, 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 and joy essentially when you're working with a client, which is of course empowering for the client. Is that's what I've seen in a number of students, countless students actually. Is that what you're describing? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you, you and I both learned anatomy, um, from the same person, Dr. Gerald Cesadlo. And, uh, you know, when I learned anatomy, uh, at uni, I learned it the, the, what I now think of as the bad way, um, which is the way I think it's almost universally taught, which is just a long droning list of muscle actions, origins, insertions, innovations, blood supply, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, my anatomy lecture at uni was like three hours twice a week. And we, I, we must have done like, you know, 60 muscles or something in the first lecture. You know, it was fucking crazy. And it's like after the first three, I was totally glazed You're out. out. You know, I was, <laughs> I was tapped out. You know, and I thought, fuck, how am I going to remember this in 15 years? You know, when I'm teaching or whatever, mm. like I can't even remember it right now. Like I literally just learned it 15 seconds ago. It's already gone. <laughs> um, and, and and I just thought this is terrible. I can't I can't do this. I was like I thought I'm really dumb or something. And so I was searching around on this was like 2012, 2013, something. So YouTube was a thing. So I was searching around on YouTube, you know, to try and find some person that would teach me anatomy, you know. Um, and I I found Dr. Gerald Cesadlo, and he was a lecturer in anatomy at the College of Saint Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and he taught uh, anatomy 101, anatomy 201, anatomy 301, anatomy 401. And so basically he taught a whole four-year physiology degree, including pathophysiology, embryology, like the everything. Um, and, and he just put his lectures online. And this is a college where like, you know, he was teaching like nursing students, medical students, physiotherapy students, like, you know, this is like a legit proper university anatomy physiology degree. He just put his lectures online for free, and so we didn't have any slides or any textbook, but we just had his audio lectures, which were kind of like crackly quality because he's not a super techno-savvy guy. <laughs> but, I mean, as you know, Heath, I mean, Doc C, which is what he calls himself and what everyone calls him, just a fucking, like, inspired teacher, a gifted teacher, and really, really understands anatomy. Like, the man knows anatomy. Um, and, and he taught us, you and me, um, anatomy from, you know, what is a cell, what is a organ, what is a tissue all the way up to like the function of the nephron in the kidneys to you know, what is a nerve impulse to, you know, like freaking everything. Um, and, you know, and he did that without any visual aids, mm. like just in audio lectures. Mm. And I, I went through a, you know, a three-year bachelor's and a two-year master's or 18-month master's. I did it in the whole lot in three years. And after that first week of anatomy, I did not go to a single anatomy lecture at, my, at either university. I just listened to Doc C. 
because an anatomy curriculum is universal, right? So first year anatomy in medicine in Duluth, Minnesota is the same as first year anatomy in exercise science in Melbourne, Australia. Like it's, right. you know, right. the body's the body, you know? Um, uh, and so the curriculum is basically the same. And so I just literally listened to Doc C's lectures and I passed like my four year degree. I got distinctions in three subjects and high distinctions in the other 15. And this was just from, like I didn't literally didn't attend a single lecture or tutorial at my university on anatomy. I just learned it all from Doxy, and and he, I mean, he has just this brilliant way of teaching that you know you and I have both adopted a lot of his methods and his mannerisms. And he, but he taught me to make a picture in that to understand anatomy is to make a picture in your mind of what's happening inside the body, and you know that that simply learning list, memorizing lists of trivia has got nothing to do with understanding how the body works. And like I now understand after learning from Doc C, I mean, oh my God, that man is, I'm so grateful to him. Like I, I really want to, you know, at some point I really am, I'm going to go fly to Duluth, Minnesota and Shake you know, his buy hand. him dinner or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, because he really has just profoundly influenced my life and my teaching. And through that, I've been able to influence other people by using his teaching methods. And uh, he taught me that that if you don't understand anatomy, if you've struggled to learn anatomy, it's not you. It's that you were taught wrong. Mm -hmm. You were taught yeah. by just someone droning on muscle origin, action, insertion, blah, 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 blah. You know, And that is just lists of trivia it doesn't mean anything and so learning anatomy means making a picture in your mind an anatomically accurate picture in your mind and you don't need to remember any of the names of any of the parts you just need to make a picture in your mind of where say where the muscle is you know where's the muscle start where's the muscle end what's the direction of the fibers right you don't have to know any of the names of those parts but you just have to make a picture in your mind and then you have to be able to make in your mind make that muscle contract and see what happens you know, and then you can just figure shit out. You don't have to remember what the action of the muscle is. It's just obvious, you mm. know, like it pulls that and that together, you know, like that's easy. Mm. So, so that, that was such a profound shift for me. And that's now, as you know, the way that we teach anatomy. And I think that is why we're able to deliver that like post-grad level spinal biomechanics to someone two months into the course is because we're not memorizing lists of trivia we're making pictures in our mind and people actually fucking get it. You know, mm. it's not like I learned, quote, remember it. Anatomy is like, oh, I get it. I can see, like you can look with your x-ray vision and when the client moves their arm or their back or their knee, you can see what's happening inside. You can picture the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments and the discs and the, all of the things moving and you can just problem solve it and figure it out. Oh, if there's pain there, what tissue would that be? What's pulling on that? You know, you can actually just problem solve because it makes sense to you. And it's mm. like that, like, oh, yeah, I could go on for ages about doctor. Yeah. But he's and I think one of the things you th you're, you're touching on there and is part of that certainly was my experience when, 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 when we discovered Doc C and I spent time with him was what I had thought was anatomy was lists of trivia and that, at some point I would get enough of it and things would make sense in movement. But then the shift was, oh, seeing it in your mind, like you've just described so eloquently, was I don't even need to know the name. I can just imagine that point by that point drawn together must be a rubber band that 
goes from those two points. And then I can start to think about movements much more effectively. And if that bone is there in this movement, then a different set of rubber bands will be active than if the same bone is over there in that movement. And that's, you know, so the, I think the, the paradox maybe for the, a lot of people in Pilates world is we, we often hear people say, I need, I want to know more anatomy. It's like, hmm, you probably know enough anatomy. What you need is some insight on how to think about anatomy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's always interesting and exciting to learn more anatomy, but uh, I think, you know, when I learn anatomy these days, I do it by looking at pictures and sitting and thinking. You know, I, I, I have a really beautiful anatomy textbook that has beautiful pictures in it. And, um, I just look at the, flick through it, find a bit that I'm interested in, oh, the anatomy of the jawbone or the whatever, you know, <laughs> and you just look at it and go, fuck, that's amazing. And you look at where the muscles are and you imagine, you know, if that muscle contracts, what, what's going to happen. And, you know, as the jaw moves this way, what's going to happen to that muscle. And, and, and you just, you just, it just, you just think about it and it, it starts to make sense, you know, and you can see how it, you can see how it works. Mm. Um, yeah. So you're clearly passionate about education, and, and by education we mean what you've always done, which is as soon as you learn something that you think is important, you want to share it with as many people as you can, and you're clearly passionate about anatomy and you're clearly passionate about movement uh, and specifically Pilates movement. Um, What, 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 tell us just uh, what are people, uh, you've talked about the diploma course. So what, what's your vision for the diploma? Like, what do you, what, it's, it's expressing these passions. What do you want people to get? What are you, what's your mission? What are you trying to deliver? Well, when I, when I did my, de- when I did my degrees, basically it's a four year fucking forced indoctrination into the benefits of exercise. Like they just made, read, made you read paper after paper after paper after paper on like, why exercise is so awesome for everyone and everyone should be exercising. Um, These are scientific papers. Yeah, scientific research papers. Uh, and they made you make you read all the guidelines and all of the textbooks. And it's all basically just saying everyone must start exercising right now. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, exercise truly is the elixir of life. It, it basically think of any, you know, aspect of human well-being, flourishing and health, and it improve, basically improves it. You know, whether it's like Alzheimer's or heart disease or mental health or, you know, like back pain or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis, cancer, like exercise is not necessarily the answer, but it it improves outcomes, it improves quality of life, it improves length of life for basically anyone. So it's like, oh my God, exercise is so freaking awesome um, and it's free. You know, you can just go out, go for a walk. You can do some push-ups in your lounge room. You can do some hundreds or whatever. Um, and so I, I just am so passionate that, <laughs> that to share that because I think not knowing that costs people a decade of their life. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and, and so I think it's so powerful and so important to, to understand that. Like meeting the physical activity guidelines reduces your chance of dying of any cause by almost 50% in the next decade. Right, like it's crazy, <laughs> like that people don't know this and people don't meet the physical activity guidelines. So I learned that over, you know, two degrees, and they made us read a bazillion papers on it, right? But 
And then we learn all the biomechanics and now I've learned all this pain science and stuff. But what I, I mean, another thing, I, I, another sort of thing about me, I think it's just part of my personality is I like to always make things better. And I think a lot of people listening to this are the same, but you know, like if I can do something, I'm like, okay, how can we make it quicker? How can we make it better? You know, how can we make it easier? How can we make it more streamlined? And and so I, I like I I think well, well I did that degree in three years right it's a four and a half year degree I did in three years. Well, there was a lot of shit in that degree that I found totally useless, right? So we did like I said we did like two semesters on ECG leads, right? So when someone has a heart attack and they go in or a chest pain or whatever they go into a cardiac rehab clinic and they put them on put you on treadmill and they shave your chest and they put 12, 12 lead ECG on you to measure your cardiac rhythm or a rhythm. Okay. So we did like a whole year on that, right? I can, I'd forgotten 90% of it now because I wasn't that interested, but I learned, you know, how to read an ECG and how to interpret a sinus rhythm versus a, you know, whatever. And it's like, I could, I could have done without that. You know, if they'd left that out of the course, I would have been just as happy. Right. And then we did this whole unit on ergonomics, which it turns out is total bullshit and doesn't do anything, you know, and that was a semester. Well, that was fucking, you know, 250 hours of blood, sweat, and tears I could have lived without, you know. And then there was, you know, this other unit or the history of the psychological association of the United States or something that we did for psychology 101. It's like, well, do you really need to know that for to be an effective exercise, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I think you could live without it, you know. So there was all of these, you know, things that were like, oh, we could chuck that out and chuck that out and chuck that out. And it would actually make the course better, in my view. If and I was like, oh, what if we chucked out all of the things, right? How how short could we make that course, right? And just get all of the really good stuff in there. And it turns out you can get it down to about a year, right? If you chuck out all of the boring shit, <laughs> like if you take a four year physiotherapy degree, right? Like that's amazing. They learn all these cool shit, but they learn like cardiopulmonary. They learn working in ICU. They learn neuro rehabilitation. They they learn you know they learn man, spinal manipulation. They learn massage. They learn all of these things. They learn electrotherapy. It's like, well, what if you didn't want to learn any of those things and you just wanted to learn how to give exercise to people, right? Could we cut out three of those years and and teach someone just how to? Do that? And it turns out, yes, you can because mm. that's what we do. So basically, I've you know the the moment the the moment the moment of revelation came to me when I was reading the American College of Sports Medicine's uh, guides to guidelines to exercise testing and prescription, um, which is was the textbook for my both of my degrees, the undergraduate and the postgraduate, um, and is now as you know the textbook for our uh, diploma of clinical Pilates, um, and you know the, the ACSM's guidelines for exercise testing and prescription is freaking brilliant because it's basically got. It tells you how to give exercise to apparently healthy adults and then people with all kinds of medical conditions. So if you're an exercise physiologist working in a cardiac rehab ward and someone's just had a uh, myocardial infarction, a heart attack three days ago, you pull out your ACSM guide and you prescribe them exercise accordingly. If someone, if you're working in a hospital with someone with Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis or atherosclerosis or diabetes or hip replacement or scoliosis or osteoporosis or back pain or cancer or like it tells you what is the exercise guideline for each of those people and uh so it's just a fantastic you know incredible resource and um but i'm reading through it and i make you read it 
You know, they make you read it every chapter, every chapter, every chapter. And then I'm reading every chapter and every chapter it says like, well, the exercise prescription for people with diabetes is the same as the exercise prescription for healthy adults. I'm like, oh, okay, great. And the exercise prescription for, prescription for people with cancer is the same as the exercise prescription for people with healthy adults, for exercise with, for people, for healthy adults. The, the exercise prescription for people with low back pain is the same as the exercise prescription for healthy adults. The older adults is the same as for healthy adults. People with multiple sclerosis, same as healthy adults. Like, I'm like, hold on a sec. Where are these healthy adults? Yeah. And I'm like, well, this is all the fucking same. So we used to do this, um, you know, we used to do this. I started doing this thing at the end of the diploma, which was like masters in exercise physiology on one whiteboard screen. And it was like, I'd write out all of these conditions, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, low back pain, you know, heart disease, stroke, you know, whatever it might be. And I'm like, what's the exercise prescription? And it would just be like, same as healthy adults, same as healthy adults, same as healthy adults. And then I thought, and that was kind of a joke, right? But then I thought, well, it's kind of a joke, but it's true. So we actually started just building it into the program. And I realized that it's like, you don't need to learn 99 things, right? You just learn one thing and you can apply it to 99 people. And there are, yes, the prescription for cancer is basically the same as for healthy adults, with one or two or three little, little tweaks. tweaks, right? Same for Parkinson's disease or arthritis or whatever. Like it's not exactly the same, but it's like 98% the same, right? So you start from the basis of going, yeah, we're basically going to give the same thing to everyone because that's the default. And then we might tweak it a bit based on preference and condition and whatever. Um, so, yeah, I just realized like you can, you can like, you can be as effective. I think we train people to be more effective than the degrees I did. Like the people we turn out of the diploma are more effective than I was when I finished my degree because I didn't learn the pain science stuff in my degree. And and when when I did my degrees, they never pointed out to me like, oh yeah, these are all just the ACSM recommendations for every freaking condition are the fucking same. They didn't point that out to me. Yeah, I'm not sure if yep. they realize it themselves. They were just treating each thing as a separate thing. It's like, what's the condition for, what's the prescription for diabetes? Blah, 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 glute four proteins, blah, 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 blah. But it's just the same. You know, it's the same. And I, I just, I'd, it astounds me that people don't, didn't see that pattern or if they did, they ignored it. And yeah, so I, I guess I've just really tried to, and I think we've succeeded finally. We've tried to take all of, like, if, if you want to be, expert at assessing and you know programming exercises for people with musculoskeletal pain you know what are the things you need to know to be exceptionally good at that and throwing out everything else right and just jamming all of that into the shortest possible space of time and that turns out to be one year <laughs> um and it's kind of bursting at the seams a little bit, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, you can, you can learn that in one year. You can go from, I know shit about shit and I feel like a fake, you know, and, and I feel like I should know these things and I've got all this knowledge in my head from the million and one weekend certifications, but I don't see the forest and people ask me a question, why does my shoulder hurt when I do this and I don't fucking know and I just have to mumble something or pretend. You can go from that to like, I really know my shit. And I can genuinely, confidently, and expertly help anyone with literally any medical condition, ache, or pain, or injury, 
you know, and you know, some of those people are going to be referred off to the emergency room or whatever. But basically, I I'm, can confidently engage with every single person with any kind of symptom or injury or diagnosis or whatever. And that can be a genuine confidence based on actual skill and understanding and knowledge that you are working within current accepted best practice. You know, that whole journey is one year, you know. So I think we've done pretty good because for me it took 15 plus years. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> and now um, someone can do it in a year and come yeah. out more confident than you were after all of that study. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel, you know, and we've so learned from our mistakes along the way. Like it wasn't, you know, like the original diploma, like I said, you know, we had people that I've, we failed, you know, we, they got to the end of the program. They didn't have that transformation. But I think these days um, we don't have a hundred percent success rate, but pretty darn close. Like basically, well, I mean, yeah. Become a clearer on what we're trying to achieve too. It used to be that we were trying to do a whole lot of studio apparatus, equipment training, as right. well as, doing right. this and you know we've sort of gotten better at what's the important stuff to work on you know right. seeing the similarities and working on the things that are overlapping and right because we used to think of the diploma as as like we were working within the constraints of when we were affiliated with the PMA and the Pilates Alliance of Australasia and stuff and they had sort of rules about you have to teach these certain exercises and blah 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 and so we wanted to be quite legit and then yeah we actually realized that actually all of that repertoire and stuff was not core to the mission of becoming a better, of becoming an expert and deeply skilled and confident at working with people with injuries. And that in fact, that was just essentially like opportunity cost we were losing, you know, and so that's some of the stuff that we've thrown out. Now we still teach that stuff in a separate course now, but again, I think it's much better. Undoubtedly, it's a thousand percent. Yeah, without a question. Yeah. We just... We just basically, and it's great because like, we don't give a shit if you are trained in Polestar or Stop Pilates or Bassy or Peak or Power Pilates or Club Pilates. We don't give a shit. Like come and, come and join the diploma and you don't even have to know the Cadillac or the barrels because everything's mat work and reformer. And like, even if you don't know reformer, that's fine. Like we, everything's like, there's always mat work options in every thing that we do. So basically we're not teaching you any repertoire. You just come as, as someone who knows some repertoire from some system, and we don't give a shit what system that is. We're going to give you a, a framework for thinking about how to apply that repertoire to maximize you know, somebody's uh, recovery and you know functional capacity. So, yeah, it's like we've told – I think we've progressively over the years, we've thrown out more and more and more, and every time we throw out stuff, it gets better, you know, because <laughs> we've just whittled it right down to – what you truly need to know to to be fucking awesome at, you know, helping people with pain and injuries. Yeah, and that the principles that you get from the course make it exponentially easier to then go and learn and work with apparatus. And I personally feel, it's my reflection, that a lot of people are taught, and I was one, that it was the, the it was the specific exercise or the specific exercise at the specific station on the specific apparatus that was going to have the magical outcome, but it's not. And when you understand the principles that underpin that, then it's like, oh, man, I can, I can help that client on an exercise bike or with a Swiss ball or the ladder or on the mat or with a reformer. And then, so then it's suddenly the apparatus is unlocked in a sense, rather than it being where you're supposed to, where it's supposed to be held. Right. The so, apparatus just becomes like, 
a simple tool, but you already know what job you need to do. So it's like the which tool you use sort of becomes almost immaterial. Yeah, that's right. Then you reach into your toolbox and go, is that going to do the job I want? Mm, yeah, that'll do. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it becomes one of the less important considerations. Right? Mm. You could, oh, you could, you could, I mean, we actually did think about, um, you know, opening the diploma up to people who are yoga teachers or personal trainers or kettlebell or you know, barbell, you know, powerlifters or whatever, because it really would work totally for any of those people because it's it's literally not specific to which apparatus you're on. It's about the principles and the reasoning and the thinking underpinning why you're choosing an exercise or why you're doing something with and the, and the load intensity you're looking for. Yeah, right. But but we've chosen not to do that because. Uh, People who are coming from Pilates base have a certain, you know, and of course you know, people vary, but in in the broad brushstrokes, I think people coming from a Pilates base have a, a certain kind of frame of reference on the world and the body and movement that is not the same as the frame of reference as, say, a personal trainer or a yoga instructor or a kettlebell, you know, person or whatever. So I think that I'm really happy that we've kept it specific to Pilates, although I do you know, I, I love hefting a barbell myself. Um, uh, and that, you know, that idea sort of does the siren song, you know, if, you know it calls out to me. <laughs> but um, I'm really pleased and satisfied and content that we've kept it specific to Pilates because I feel that by keeping it really specific, we can, like the, 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 the course is a transformation. You know, the part, it's a path of transformation from, I feel like a fraud and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing to I'm deeply skilled and, you know, justifiably confident, you know, working with an injury. And that's the transformation. And that transformation is much more effective and easier for us to facilitate when everyone's basically starting at the same place. You know, when we're starting with a common set of assumptions and beliefs and, you know, you know, basic kind of views on the world that most Pilates instructors tend to share and so it's it's easier for us to choreograph that journey, I think. Yeah, know, because yeah. it's Pilates specific. Yeah, yeah. Because so there's a shared language, at least in terms of that basic repertoire, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and but but I would say like even if you do, like, this course is so not about the repertoire. No, correct. Right? So I when mean, I said repertoire, I mean basic movements essentially and yeah. equipment. Yeah. So if you don't, if you feel like oh shit, I did my course a decade ago and I'm rusty as fuck on the repertoire, it doesn't matter. We don't care. That will not be an issue <laughs> in this course. Like we're going to use such basic movements, and you know, you, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the one it feels like we're kind of almost at an end. Yeah, but yeah. One thing I would just like to kind of, I guess, touch on a little bit more is that I that like when I look around the Pilates industry now, I have an outsider's view of every other training organization. So I, I, I'm not affiliated with Stop Pilates anymore. I haven't been for over a decade. I, I've never been affiliated with Bazzi or Polestar or any of those other ones. So like I'm just I'm just commenting based on what I see from the outside and also uh, mostly actually what students have said to me about their experience with other training providers. Now, maybe the students who are – we're getting a super biased sample because the students who go to XYZ company and love it well, they don't come to us, right? <laughs> Whereas the ones that go to XYZ company and hate it, then they're like, well, I'm not going back there. Maybe I'll try breathe. <laughs> so so maybe we're getting a bias sample. So I'm, you know, I don't want to throw rocks, 
but I guess what I want to say is that a lot of people have expressed, like I was talking to Caroline Sawbridge last week, because you know we do these exit interviews um, at the end of every cohort. So we have a cohort, what have we got, like 40, 50 people in every cohort incoming to the diploma. That's like three times a year we do that. Um, and then you and I talk to every single person at the end of the cohort, like in a half hour interview and get their detailed feedback. This is a, like a really in-depth <laughs> process. It takes us like two weeks of 10 hours a week of each or something. Um, and yeah, I was talking to Caroline Sawbridge and she's a Brit living in the Netherlands. She's a really interesting woman. Um, and she was a standout student. She was awesome. And what really struck me was that she said, uh, that basically when she came into the course, like she felt really like she was not a good Pilates instructor and that when she did her previous training, she felt like she didn't measure up and she wasn't, you know, she was kind of the dumbest person in the room. And that just really surprised me because I've always thought of her as being like one of the smartest people in the room and like really picking this shit, shit up really quickly and like going deeper with it and sort of thinking three steps ahead of what we learned in the lesson going, oh, well, if that's the case, what about these other three things that we didn't talk about? And like really smart woman. And it, it just kind of like, it really surprised me. And she, I said, well, how do you know, <laughs> why, why do you think that was? And she said, oh, questions were discouraged in her previous training. And she said, literally, they said, oh, don't ask questions, Carolyn, you know. Um, and people were, uh, and I've heard this from her, but also from lots of other students, that people were kind of, um, I guess belittled is the word that I'm looking for, for, you know, not physically performing the exercises to some particular aesthetic standard, you know, like not having the flexibility or the whatever, you know, um, to, to do the, you know, the, the whatever exercise in the particular way. And, and I just think that is fucking such bullshit and that like, you know, in our program, we're the exact opposite of that. Like we love questions. Questions are an integral part of learning. Making mistakes is an integral part of learning. We are here, you know, for you to learn. That's why we're fucking here, right? So if you've got a question, it's like we're not fucking done yet. You know, like that's like, and and we don't give a fuck what you look like when you do the exercises. Like that is not a thing in this program, not a thing. Like, um, and, but paradoxically, you know, one of the things that does happen is a lot of people become physically a lot stronger as and more flexible as they do this program because we teach you f- the physiology of strength training and we teach you how to get really fucking strong so you can get your clients really fucking strong. It's not a requirement of the course that you get strong. It's just a byproduct, right? We're just teaching you how to actually, like if you're going to spend half an hour working out, how to get the maximum result in that half an hour so you actually build the most physical capacity. So when you're rehabbing someone, they can come and go, holy shit, I'm getting so fucking strong. I can't believe it. It's like, yeah, but, oh, it just drives me bananas that not only are people being taught like ineffectively, like they're taught, you know, quote, taught anatomy by just droning on, you know, muscles, origin, insertion, actions, and blah, blah, blah. But also people are being actually like actively discouraged from asking questions or being told that they're, you know, they're, they're the wrong shape or whatever to, you know, it's like, it's, 
oh, it just drives me mad. I, I hate that shit. And yeah, I, I just think um, that is another thing that really I think we, you know, you particularly Heath, have built into this program is that 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 empowering people to explore their curiosity and to, I mean, we you know, do those those review sessions where we just dive, you dive super deep. Yes, yeah, so it's like. I'm sorry, I'll get off my soapbox, but I'd love to hear just your thoughts on this on this question. On this so, which was the question specifically? Well, just basically, the. So, is it, are we talking about this? On the one hand, there's the culture of how you look when you do an exercise, and if you can't do it that way, then somehow you're less than, and versus when we apply basic strength training principles over time. I guess I guess what I'm trying to you know incoherently uh, formulate here is is the conception of like well what is education you know and how do you know if you've had a good one you know and I guess if you let, walk away from your training program and thinking you're dumb and the wrong shape then well, that's a good not one. you that's not yeah. you no. Whereas if you walk away feeling like what you learned is something that you can share with others and you can describe it, and it's improving your ability to do the thing that you set out to do, it's probably a better one. So right. if you, if you, and if you've come in, I th- and as you, so what we promise in the diploma is to give people the, the skills and the knowledge to confidently help people who are in rehabilitation or living in pain. And as an aside to that, as you apply those principles, what we found is that people discover they can do things with their their own body that they had either been told they shouldn't do or had never dreamed they could do. And that's just a complete aside. That's not even one of the, the lead promises. It's just an overflow of when people lean into the content and start to embody it, that's what happens when you get stronger. Yeah. And I think that comes with you know, shedding fear of you know, physical um, movements uh, and also just f- like fear of not knowing the answer, um, fear of making someone worse, uh, you know, fear of not being legitimate, you know. So, like, I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest outcomes is, you know, fearlessness. Yeah. But but that it, it happens in multiple dimensions. And so, like, a thing I hear a lot is people saying, I've, I've actually, you know, my life outside of Pilates has changed for the better. I'm happier. I'm more empowered. I'm more fearless. Uh, I, I feel clear on my purpose and I'm more grateful um, and I feel more inspired, you know. Uh, and that's none of those things are like things that we deliberately set out to, you know, to, to, to achieve. But I think they're just the result of people actually feeling like they did a really hard thing and now they own that knowledge and that skill and it's not something that they have to come back to us every 12 months and get a certain number of CEC points to maintain. It's like we actually teach them how to go and update their own knowledge by just searching it on Google Scholar and how to read the research and read guidelines and find guidelines and all of that. And so I think it's it's really a it's a I think that's that is a core outcome of the course that I feel like I've learned, you know, something I learned from university that's incredibly profound is 
you can just go and look shit up. Mm. You know, that there's a fuckload of research out there for free, like an unimaginable mountain, you know, the size of the planet fucking Jupiter, you know, of research. And if you have a question about how the world works, you can just go and look it up. <laughs> You know, and so if you're in a sitting in your Pilates course and someone says, "Oh, this exercise is bad for your back," and you're wondering, "I wonder if that's true," well, you can just go and look it up. Yeah, <laughs> and it turns out that there's an answer to those questions. And um, so yeah, we teach people how to how to how to go find that information. And once you know how to do that, you can go and look up any old shit. Like, does sunscreen protect you from skin cancer? And do suit belts save lives? And you know, any you know, like lots of questions. <laughs> Uh, my mum told me the other week, oh, don't wear earphones when you're riding your bicycle because you won't hear the cars coming, you'll get killed. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's a thing. Someone looked it up. Nah, nah. Guess what? Deaf people drive cars. They're just fine. They don't have more accidents than hearing people, right? So it's like, oh, well, I'm going to wear my headphones. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I feel like we should probably wrap this up, Raf. Thanks for spending your time talking to me about your experience and your, your journey. Um, if anyone wanted to, to learn more, what would they do? <sighs> I think they'd probably just click some type of magic link that will appear in the show notes. Okay. And, <laughs> and that will yep. help them learn more. Great. And there's a variety of ways they could learn more from those links. So, yeah, great. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks, Rev. <laughs> After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.